This is the PKD Black Box, Episode 5. This episode of the PKD Black Box is brought to you by AtomicTiki.blogspot.com, the virtual home of comic artist Steve Bryant, Eisner Award nominee and creator of Athena Voltaire. His work has appeared in IDW and Moonstone Comics, and he is currently accepting commissions during the holiday season. To see samples of his art and more, check out atomictiki.blogspot.com. Once again, that's atomictiki.blogspot.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. This episode right here is a kung fu explosion. Straight up Kung Fu Explosion, y'all. I'll be joined shortly by Johnny M and Jim Dietz of the Legion of Dudes podcast as we talk about some of our favorite Kung Fu and martial arts films. We go deep in this one. And you can go to hhwlod.com to check out episodes of Legion of Dudes as well. But before we get to our feature presentation, I have a quick review. So I recently checked out Ninja Assassin, and for those that don't know the story of Ninja Assassin, here's a uh, brief summary. Uh, Trained since childhood to be a lethal killer, Reizo, the lead character, has since turned his back on the Ozunu clan that raised him and now seeks revenge for their heartless murders. Teaming up with Europol investigator Mika, Reizo steadily butchers his enemies while inching ever closer to the long-awaited bloody reunion with his former master. Now, having said that, I'll be the first to admit, I was completely surprised by this movie. Really surprised. I walked in with very low expectations and left very pleased. Now, I'm telling you right now, this movie is not for the weak of heart. And if you can't dig or, you know, you don't like, you know, gory films, especially like an action film that has like a lot of gore in it, this movie is not for you. It is not for you at all. This is... Also very special effects heavy. There's a lot of CGI blood. That is the only thing I did not like about the film. The whole um, over-the-top fantasticness of the film, uh, Rain playing Rezo and doing all types of unbelievable things, ninjas being not only mystical, uh, but also super heroic in a way, doing all types of just bizarre and really fascinating things. The CGI blood sometimes is a turnoff because I've seen so many old school um, ninja movies and kung fu movies and stuff like that. There was no CGI blood back then. So it's kind of, it's a little, it's a tad bit of overkill, but there are a lot of throwing stars in this movie too, but that was cool. Plenty of action, a nice story. Acting is decent for, you know, for a martial arts film. You can't really, you can't roll ninja film. You can't really expect too much, but the acting is actually better than I thought it would be. And it was an overall fun time. Once again, film is not for the faint of heart. There is some, there are some very graphic scenes in this film. So, if you're not down for that, I strongly recommend that you don't watch it. Oh, and it's also got a legendary actor Shokazugi in it. I don't know if many of you know who Shokazugi is, but if so, you need to just go to IMDb and uh, check him out. He was very popular during the 80s, uh, during the early 80s a ninja action movie um, explosion uh, way back when. So he's in the movie too. He actually plays the main villain. But Rain as Rezo is off the hook. The dude has some moves and he can he can utilize any weapon. You know, as far as the film goes, he can utilize any weapon that's given to him. But the, his main weapon, the way he uses it, you just, you need to go see it. Very violent, very, very high paced, uh, very quick. I'm the type of person when watching an action film, especially when it comes to martial arts stuff, a lot of people nowadays are using these quick cuts uh, with the camera and you know, making things really um, move so fast you can't really see what's going on. This film does suffer from some of that at times that I will admit to. Sometimes they move too quick, you know, they cut the camera too quick or change the angle so quickly you can't really see what everybody's doing. And there are some sequences where it's a little too dark. And you can't see what's going on. But it's not through the whole film. It's just in pieces. But there are amazing action sequences in this film. It's very over the top. It's very fantastical. But it was a lot of fun. I did enjoy it thoroughly. And 
now they're saying word on the street is because the film is doing decently enough because it didn't cost a lot to make that Warner Brothers is possibly pushing for a, a retelling of Enter the Dragon starring Rain in Bruce Lee's role. But they're saying it's so much of a retelling they can't even call it Enter the Dragon. So why even say that you're basing it off of Enter the Dragon? But that's another story. I did enjoy Ninja Assassin. Very good time. Check it out. I'm joined right now by two really good friends of mine, and not only are they really good friends, they are also um, podcasting brethren. Uh, they are the multi-talented, multi-faceted uh, Jim Dietz and Johnny M from the Legion of Dudes, part of the Half Hour Wasted Legion of Dudes family. How y'all doing this evening? Very well, man. Thanks. Pleasure to be here, Sean, as always. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, hey, I'm thankful and uh, glad that uh, y'all had time to, uh, to, to make it out and we could, uh, we could have a little convo. Um, the convo, uh, to, to actually today, as of this recording, the convo is all about kung fu and martial arts movies. I am a kung fu martial arts film junkie. Um, I'm just going to say kung fu movies the rest of the way because I'm not going to say kung fu martial arts back to back. I will tie my tongue. So... I love these movies. They inspire me. They get me hyped up. I've been watching them since childhood, and I got a list of kung fu movies that I wanted to talk about. But instead of me talking by myself, I said I'm bringing my family along with me, and we're going to discuss some of our favorites. And um, so just sit back and chill and, and enjoy. And if, if so, you know, you like some of these flicks, hop on out and pick some up, and, uh, you know, we can talk about it uh, later on our forum board. But um, before we get started, um, Jim or, or Johnny, whoever wants to discuss it, can you tell the people a little bit about the Legion of Dudes podcast? Uh, sure. I guess I'll start off, Jimbo. We were all fans of the Half Hour Wasted show. It was one of those things where we just kept getting more involved and involved in their show and, and being active on their message boards and calling in. And, you know, a little community was created on their forum. Russ Latham, who is a member of the fourth uh, forum, he decided that he wanted to do a Watchmen podcast where we would talk about Watchmen every week or so, one issue, an episode, and it would lead us into the big Watchmen movie, which, you know, was last spring, I guess it was. And, and so it started out that way. We got a group together. I'm Adam Umack and Ken Morgan of Too Old to Grow Up. And like I said, just our community of little half-hour wasted family. I'm an Adam Reed. And Not me. I, I, can't stand, I can't stand the half-hour wasted guys. I think they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Everyone yeah. else is a big friend of them, so you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm kid. I kid. I kid. I kid. He kids. That's that's Jim. He's always kidding. Did I forget anybody? I got Rito and Dan Ashland, of course, and and so we got this big group together, and we started doing these Watchmen shows, and then the itch just started. It could not be scratched. Then we had to do between Watchmen shows, we had to do our other favorite graphic novels, and when it was over, you know, we couldn't stop. We had to do Kingdom Come, all these other books, and it basically just escalated until we became our own show. And now we split a feed with the half hour wasted guys and we're having a blast. We're a year plus in and, you know, we're, we're doing some cool stuff. So and thanks to Sean. I mean, Sean's been there from day one. So we're very it's happy out. to come on to his show now and, and return the favor a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the dudes extend just beyond those who always do the podcast week after week. We've had some great guests on the show, including you, Sean, and uh, I know Megan and Nicole, the Vertigo Vixens. We've had them on a couple times, and uh, Pisker, and I mean, we have like a legion of, of substitute dudes as well. You know, it's kind of extended family, so uh, it's cool to be able to come on your show and kind of, you know, pay it back a little bit. To kick it off, we're going to start with Jim. Give me one of your favorite uh, Kung Fu movies. Well, growing up, um, I, I grew up in, uh, in Cleveland for a long time until I was about 12 years old, and I started moving around a lot because my dad was in construction. But when I was a kid, they used to have this uh, guy named Superhost on Saturday mornings. He would show cartoons, and he would show uh, Little Rascals and Three Stooges shorts, and then he would show either a kung fu movie or a hammer horror film. So I, that's where I got my schooling on the Shaw Brothers and like the early, you know, the 70s kung fu movies. Uh, that's where I first saw Five Deadly Venoms, which is probably one of my favorites. In the spirit of that, I'd like to, for my first uh, movie that I bring forward, I'd like to mention would be Seven Brothers versus Dracula. 
I don't know if you guys have ever seen this or not. It was a co-production between the Shaw Brothers, who were the masters of kung fu cinema all through the 60s and 70s, and uh, Hammer Films. It has Peter Cushing in it. It has some of the other Hammer Horror actors on you know, the Hammer Horror films from the 60s and 70s, you know, with Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, uh, and whatnot. But it's a melding of Shaw Brothers and the Hammer Horror all into one film. And the Seven Brothers were featured in a couple other Kung Fu films. And uh, they go up against Dracula. And they end up, they become, uh, they go up against Chinese vampires who aren't affected by the crucifix because they're Buddhists. They're affected <laughs> by a uh, symbol of the Buddha. It's just, it's, it's an awesome movie. And it's been under a couple of names. I know one of the names. I think it's Seven Golden Vampires or something, but the, it's most easily found under Seven Brothers versus Dracula. That that just sounds fierce. For, for, for cheesy. Oh, it's awesome, dude! And if, it's it's a little hard to track down, but well worth the effort. Luckily, a buddy of mine slipped me a copy, and uh, it's like two of my it's like chocolate and peanut butter, you know, two of my favorite genres of movies, you know, smushed together into one. And it's uh, it's beautiful and cheesy and kung fu and and delightful. So I think that'd be my first pick for the night. You you hit it on the head right from the beginning when you started talking about Superhost. A lot of people got their kung fu fix from local television sh- local television shows that you know showed kung fu movies or horror films or just specialty type items. When I was when I was growing up, our cable company, I think it was like TCI at the time, they had a channel for a low, for an affiliate out in Indiana, WTTV, and it was an independent channel back in the 80s. And they had a kung fu theater every Saturday night and it ran from 10 o'clock till about two or three in the morning, you know, two or three, four in the morning. And that's where I got my fix of kung fu movies. And then it flipped over on Sundays because USA had kung fu theater right after Cartoon Express every Sunday from like 12 to 6. So, yeah, I remember that. It was, uh, yeah, it, the, you know what? I really think, I mean, we have like a, a hundred million cable channels now. For our generation, that those UHF independent channels are just like so key to like turning, you know, our, our generation onto like, you know, things like kung fu movies or, or, you know, splatter horror movies or, you know, all these different things that, you know, in the mainstream television at that point really wasn't into at all. And it was great for the UHF channels because it cost them next to nothing to get the rights to those movies. So I really, I really miss the UHF independent channels. I really Really aren't around so much anymore with cable television it's kind of hard to get your foot in independently I, I know that every single state and every single city has a program where or, or a channel dedicated to local programming but it really has no pull it has no power it has no rank so nobody would even pay attention to a super host nowadays if you know what i mean it would be difficult for them to get that just to get, to get that local feed and to get that attention so it's times have definitely changed and how come there's not a, a kung fu network you know, That's it's, a good funny question. That, it's funny that you say that. My cable company, which is Cablevision out here on Long Island, we had Kung Fu HD for, I'm going to say, nine months. And one day it was gone. I guess it just did not pull the numbers or, you know, get your sponsorship. And like you were saying, whatever it takes to keep a television channel running. But, I mean, it was heaven. It was any 24-7 in HD kung fu movies i would never leave my house it it was difficult (laughs) it it really was and probably saved my marriage that it was taken off the air wow but (laughs) but yeah we had it jim we had kung fu hd for like less than a year wow that's awesome i'm so jealous Johnny, what you got for us well i'm gonna start us off with the 36th chamber of shaolin damn <laughs> I, I had wow, to go good there. Choice. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by saying that my my experience with these films is is totally different from from you guys. For whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of exposure for me as a young guy. A lot of Bruce Lee because that was probably more mainstream, and I got it on like local TV pretty regularly on the weekends and late night and stuff like that. I've really gone backwards to check all of this stuff out. Like, I'm much more into the newer stuff, and and it's kind of an opposite take than you guys that have been into it for so long, and maybe you're catching up on the new stuff, and you're obviously masters of all the old stuff. 36 Chambers Shaolin, I, I think it's really important because it's the story that's told over and over and over again. It's this kung fu student that doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. who is hated by the classmates because they've be, they belong. He's an outsider of some sort. He's you know we've seen the story. He's an American. He's uh, he he doesn't fit in with the group, and he's the favorite of the teacher. And, and that's where the story kind of takes off. And we've seen it in what Kung Fu Panda, I, Fraction, and Brubaker's Iron Fist. I was run. just gonna say this sounds like Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I mean we can go we can go on. I mean you, you can look at go ahead. I'm Sean, sorry. Go. You've seen it in the Karate Kid as well. I was just going to say that, you know, Daniel does not belong in the, uh, in the, what's the dojo? Something Kai, Cobra Kai. Yeah, Cobra Kai. (laughs) Yeah. Sweep the leg. (laughs) Yeah. So I just really dig that movie, you know, Gordon Liu and it's classic. There is a a Dragon Dynasty release, so you can get a real nice cut of it. And I think it's a good building block. Like if you see 36 Chambers of Shaolin, a lot of stuff you see after that will make you go, ah, you know, there... (laughs) They're taking that off 36 Chambers. Um, and, of course, Wu-Tang made it, like, popular again, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, which is kind of cool, too. But So that's my first pick, 36 Chambers. What I love about that movie, I first saw that film via bootleg VHS in Washington, D.C. Me and a friend of mine went to go visit some of his friends in Washington, D.C., and we drove up to, to New York City. And we were down in Times Square, we were walking around, and we saw this store that sold nothing but kung fu movies. Of course, they were all bootlegs. <laughs> Every single one was a bootleg. And our one friend kept talking about the 36 Chamber of Shaolin, and he wouldn't stop talking about it. He was like, we got to find this movie. I know they got it. We got to get it, and we're going to watch it tonight. He gets a copy, checks it out, makes sure the copy looks good. And we, you know, we walk around a little bit more around New York, and we go visit a couple other spots then we drive back hours later we get back to dc and we watch this movie that was the first time besides watching bruce lee bruce lee flicks that the final fight theme really sunk in with me how important all that build up and all that setup and the importance of the final fight give that film that extra oomph for that it just makes it great that that final fight is fantastic gordon lee was like one of my favorite martial artists ever i just love that that final battle in 36 chamber i think it's great i thought it was so cool when uh, gordon lee was in kill bill as well it was such a, a shout out to that you know from uh from an obvious fan like Tarantino. And he's aged He's aged really well, too. Yeah, I yeah, mean, he looked like he was doing some good moves in uh, Kill Bill, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a classic, no doubt about it. It's a building block. You know, if you're going to take a kid and, who wants to watch Kung Fu, you know, you're going to start with somewhere in the beginning is 36 Chamber. That one was on my list. That's why That's why I got upset when you <laughs> said it. It was on my list. I had to, stri- had to cross it out. I put this on here first because, and Jim... Uh, made a light mention light mention of it. It is a Shaw Brothers uh, film directed by uh, Chang Che, Five Deadly Venoms. Yes. This, this movie, every time it came on, me and my uncles would sit and watch it every single time. This film never gets old. And I have a Dragon Dynasty copy now, which is pristine, super clean. I mean, the picture is crisp, vivid, nice sound. You know, it has the original language track as well as the bad English dub. It's wonderful. Just to see the the uh, five fighting styles of the centipede, the snake, the scorpion, the lizard, and the toad. It it's uh, I'm I'm getting tongue tied and getting all hyped up just saying it right now. I just want to like punch a wall. But um <laughs> The choreography. Yeah, I saw I saw that when I was really young. In my like kid mind, it was almost like the Justice League of Kung Fu. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like all I mean, all these different specialists and their their names and styles very much reminded me of superheroes when I was a little kid. And so when I saw Five Deadly Venoms, I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. You know, it all kind of came together for me with that movie. So I'm so glad you mentioned it because that was really you know seminal in my kung fu upbringing and that was the first movie the first kung fu movie i saw where you had a final fight where it was two against or actually i think it was like five people all together i think it was like two on three i think it was a two on three fight or a two on two fight and that was the first time i ever really saw that type of battle because it was the snake it was a snake it was one of the apprentices of the poison clan and i want to say was it the lizard if if i remember correctly or the centipede it was one of the two and there was just nice, nice final fight. But that also introduced another thing, and that was the abrupt ending. Because we all know with a lot of these old school kung fu movies, the endings were really abrupt. And Five Deadly Venoms is a perfect example of that. When it's all said and done, the good members of the Poison Clan 
have to go find this treasure and collect the gold and use it for good. But it ends so quickly and abruptly. It's like, oh, we've we've got the map. Well, I guess we needed to find this gold and do good with it. Okay, the end. And, and, and this is a perfect example of what I was trying to and, and probably didn't do a great job of, of saying before. You and Jim were talking about this movie on the forums, and I had no idea what you were talking about. And the funny thing, Sean, was I started searching out this movie, and like you said, I couldn't find it. And we started with the PMs back and forth, and I have a pretty good copy. Oh, and I I found a decent copy. And then what? The next week, Dragon Dynasty, it's on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's it was the, like magic. That's the way it always works. You start talking about a DVD you want, and as soon as you find a bootleg, that's when the real version comes out. Yeah, absolutely. A friend of mine had a bootleg version of the Ruby right, Spears Superman. <laughs> of the Ruby Spears <laughs> Superman. Right. And as soon as he as soon as he handed it to me, two weeks later, it came out. Same yeah. thing happened to me with the tick cartoon. I got I got decent bootlegs of it, and then it's like I literally came home from the con that day, was online and read, Oh, official release of the DVD, you know, the tick cartoon on DVD. I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. But let's not talk about it like it's a bad thing because we're finally getting these films in like respectable quality, which I think is awesome. Oh no, I, I think oh, that's totally. fantastic. Most of my copies of these movies aren't VHS, so I'm 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 glad we're getting DVD versions. The other thing about the Five Deadly Venoms, that being a it being a Shaw Brothers film, and Jim, you could probably attest to this with the Shaw Brothers because they had their own studio, built beautiful sets. Yeah, they were like the only game in town back then, and they were pretty much the only kung fu studio exporting their stuff to the you know to the states so i mean they they had the cachet you know were able to you can tell that i mean it's like any other genre you know you can tell a really cheap western you can tell a western with a high production value and a, and a good script it was the same way with the shaw brothers they had high production values for what people consider disposable cinema and now we look at it and realize you know how, how far ahead of their time it really was especially when you see something like um uh, like once upon a time uh, or uh, yeah once upon a time in china isn't that it with jet Li? yep jet Li. yep yeah I think it'll be the next one I mentioned now. Just because, I mean, the sets were so gorgeous. And, and, you know, the whole period piece was, you know, I mean, so, I mean, and the Shaw Brothers really, like, set the whole tone for that. I mean, we wouldn't have had, quote unquote, you know, serious production design in a kung fu movie if, uh, you know, they hadn't gone with it back then. Now, with Once Upon a Time in China, because that is a movie on my list of kung fu movies I've yet to see. I've seen Jet Li's version of The Chinese Connection, and I've seen a couple of his other early films, but I still to this day have not seen Once Upon a Time in China. Now, this is when we get to that phase of kung fu films. Not only do do we have your great kung fu fights, but they really find a way to better blend in a story as well. Right. You end up uh, with the whole historical context. I, th- I believe it's based on an old Chinese myth uh, from back in the day. I don't know for sure. I'd have to get on my copy and, and watch it again. You know, the attention to detail for the historical accuracy as far as the costumes and the set, the weaponry, everything is just, it's its mind-blowing and it's really beautiful. I mean, there's a whole trend toward that, though. If you look at movies like Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon or, you know, The House of Flying Daggers. Love that um, We have these, you know, these movies where few people are finally taking martial arts movies as a serious art form, which is awesome. You know, I really think that that when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon won all those Oscars that year, that was a real validation for the genre in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, it wasn't just a kung fu movie, but it was a movie that had kung fu in it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was a full-fledged story. It wasn't fighting for fighting's sake. Whereas a lot of the films that we watched growing up on late-night television, it was literally five, you know, four minutes apiece, five minutes of fighting. Four minutes apiece, five minutes of fighting. <laughs> you know, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, the end. I mean, not all of them. Right, were that and the way. dialogue was all like, "You killed my brother. Prepare to die." You know, <laughs> exactly. That was like all the dialogue you got. You know, you have shamed my house. Prepare for my kung fu. You know. And how crazy was the the wire fighting? Like the first time that you saw it. Oh, oh, that was sick. Especially with five deadly venoms, where uh, where the uh, disciple of the poison clan and one of the other members of the. Um, of the, oh, of the five deadly venoms start trying to learn how to take out the other members of the uh, take out the other venoms and they start doing all these practicing things and they start jumping and they literally like cling to the side of a wall and I'm like how in the world did you do that <laughs> it was just wild because the way it was filmed it also looked weird and it looks like they were using you know like it looks like uh, for a moment they were running the film backwards but it was just it was wire foo and it was amazing to see I love the two extremes in, in martial arts I love the movies where 
they kind of make the combatants supernatural and they don't even explain it. They're just jumping off rooftops and flying and, and doing crazy stuff. And they're just kind of like, you know, there's there's almost a supernatural nature to them. And I love the opposite end, which is a lot of the new stuff coming out, like the Tony Jaa, you know, the Yong Box and the uh, some of the other movies we're going to talk about. Just the brutal realism, like guy gets kicked in the face and falls through a glass table and now he's got glass in his back. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I love both ends of the spectrum. You know, the the, the flamboyant, you know, the, the choreography and just the brutal, like, violent end of it. I think, you know, both sides are fantastic. Johnny, we're going to flip it back to you. What's your next movie? Flip it back to me. Well, we just covered a whole bunch of stuff. You know what? I'm just going to get it out of the way and do Enter the Dragon um, <laughs> because that's, you know, My like. favorite I, John Saxon movie of all time. <laughs> Enter the Dragon is just, it, it may, you know, it has a big, it's a big part of mainstreaming all this stuff and, and bringing it to America. And, and Bruce Lee, you know, after seeing Enter the Dragon, I went back and like tried to find all the Bruce Lee I could. And there's so little. And there, and there are so many Bruce Lee quote Bruce Lee movies that don't really contain too much Bruce Lee. Oh, you, uh, you must have watched The Game of Death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, en- Enter the Dragon is just all you can take of Bruce Lee, and you're watching it, and you're just like, man, he's too fast. Yeah. It's a camera trick. Uh, <laughs> something's just not right, and he's got the. The charisma, you know, I can't even imagine if if he were, you know, today, if he were an action star of today, the money that he would be making and the movies that would be coming out. I mean, he's just he he oozed charisma. And even when he wasn't speaking a whole lot of English, you know, you knew what he was getting at. The scene where he takes on about I lost track after 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 like the 30th person got knocked down by Bruce Lee in that uh, chamber. Uh, down in the uh, down in the dungeon, and he pulls out the nunchucks. The first time, the first time you ever watched that, what was the like? You know, the feeling that you got from that? It it blew me away. Yeah, I mean, it again. It's like a real superhero. You know, it's, it's I can't really even describe it. You know, it's just it's something that sticks with you. I mean, I watch that movie forever, always, twice a year, you know, till I die. <laughs> well, it's like you were saying, Johnny, if you were going to educate somebody in, you know, Kung Fu theater, that would be like, you know, your, your ABC, you know what I mean? That'd be like one of the first movies I would sit someone down and say, okay, you know, here's the syntax of this uh, genre, you know? I mean, that's like, I mean, anybody, you know, I, I think everybody should see that movie. I mean, I love the, I love the, uh, the scene in slow motion where he jumps in the guy's chest. And you, yeah. they, you know, they don't see it. You, know, you can almost picture his, like, feet burying into the guy's rib cage, you know, the intensity he has. And then the, um, the whole scene in the Hall of Mirrors at the end with Kang and just brilliant you know, movie making. What, one of the things I used to love when I was a kid, um, one of my favorite comics, uh, Master of Kung Fu from Marvel in the 70s. And the lead character, Shang-Chi, was very much as drawn by um, Paul Galassi, uh, one of my favorite you know, unsung artists, but very much patterned on Bruce Lee. I mean, every panel almost looked like, he looked like Bruce Lee with long hair. And then when I saw the movie, I'm like, oh, that's where they got that. But the weird thing about Bruce Lee is he's so singular in his moves that, I mean, I, I, I've related this story before, I think, uh, to a friend of mine that later, years years later, I was watching uh, the, the anime Cowboy Bebop. The, the lead character, Spike Spiegel, they rotoscoped Bruce Lee's movements because the, 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 the main character uses the way of the intercepting fist, which was the, the martial art that Bruce Lee was trying to perfect when he died. But they rotoscoped his movements on there, and the very first time I saw the anime, I'm like, wow, he moves just like Bruce Lee. You know, I mean, it's almost like a like a physical alphabet. You know, that you see it, and it's like, oh, that's obviously Bruce Lee move. It's like when you see a Jackie Chan film. You know, like say Legend of Drunken Master or something. You know, it's just you know, it's so active and crazy, but it's almost comical. You know, Bruce Lee had that more serious side. It's just, um, you know, the, phys- the sheer physicality is just incredible. And, you know? and and at the same time, it's not like he was using for some of his moves. They weren't very large movements. They were very compact and very succinct 
but they were but they were so quick. Either way, you couldn't tell. Plus, he used a lot of his uh, opponents' inertia against themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, that was like a very central part of his uh, the art, the martial art that he was trying to perfect himself. I was just going to say, you know, even the even the posing and like the war cries, if you want to call them. You know, really just like groundbreaking. And, and like Jim was saying about some of those moves, there's no mistaking that Bruce Lee cry or those poses that you still see people walking around with on their T-shirt. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just an iconic image. And it's amazing, really, that it's stood the test of time. I'm still mad that Jim Kelly got killed, though. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, uh, have you seen Black Dynamite yet, um, Sean? It has not even surfaced in our neighborhood. And I don't think oh. it, and I don't think it will. I unfortunately, I will have to wait till it comes out on DVD. Oh man, I had one of the best lines of any movie I've ever heard in my life. Um, your love of transmogrify and super science is only exceeded by your zeal for kung fu treachery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see now, I, I, I have to see I, this I, film. That, yeah. That's a high recommend. We do and the, he doesn't uh, have duties this year. I'll definitely be recommending it. <laughs> he doesn't have that written down. Uh, no. <laughs> oh no, I memorized it, dude. I thought it was so awesome. I had to friggin' memorize it. See, I have to see. I have to see that movie. There's some funny other funny things about um about um Enter the Dragon. Uh, the reason John Saxon is in the film, the producers and the director wanted some type of uh Sean Connery clone for the film to attract to attract uh, Westerners to watch the film if they were scared or didn't really understand Bruce Lee. They wanted to put somebody that regular people could relate to. So that was one of the main reasons why they brought John Saxon on because they sure as hell couldn't afford uh, couldn't afford Sean Connery. And to this day, I remember what you know. Still to say, every time I watch that film, you know, I understand Jim Kelly. I understand. I understand Bruce Lee. I understand everybody else in that film because I know they can scrap. But every time I looked at John Saxon, I just said, he can't fight. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. You know, but they gave him a style. It was kind of like a flat boxer style. Nothing nothing impressive or nothing fancy. They, they gave him a, a little bit to work with, but you compare that to Bruce Lee, and there is no comparison. It, 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 it's it's you know it's terrible compared to what Bruce Lee puts on the screen. Well, I mean everybody everybody back in 1970 when that came out knew who John Saxon was. I don't think hardly anybody except you know people who maybe watched Long Street or uh, the Green Hornet knew who Bruce Lee was. Yes, you know I mean he wasn't the international you know icon superstar that we think of him as today. You know back then John Saxon was a bigger draw than Bruce Lee. So yeah. That- By the way, I got to shout out John Saxon because he's one of my favorite like 1970s 1980s. Uh, heavies he's like he was on like every tv show colombo you know a mystery movie like any show you could think of had john saxon as a, as a villain and he was also Even, in the classic movie mitchell ah yes the final joel episode of mst but that is another podcast my friend oh y- yes that is <laughs> <laughs> and i hope you have me on for that one too because i'm the biggest mst fan that i know oh no we could talk we could talk some mst3k believe you me yes the other thing was with enter the dragon because bruce lee really had a strong hands-on role to get them to get the film together to give the overall look feel story and everything you know he constantly banged heads with the screenwriters over the movie so the screenwriters on purpose knew that he couldn't pronounce w's so they purposely created characters or put words with w's in them on purpose um like when i'm in the beginning when he's talking to mr braith uh, braithwaite he couldn't pronounce that word he had a real difficult time saying it so they left that in there or they would put it in there a couple of times on purpose because they knew he couldn't pronounce certain letters or words very well so they left that stuff in there to basically be jerks wow that's weak i never knew that yeah it, it, it's crazy but it still didn't you know that didn't deter me you know deter the overall effect of the film it's one of the greatest martial arts films of all time see and i purposely didn't put that one on my list because i was like one of us is going to talk about it i don't oh, want to be one of us is going to talk about it so i was like oh, okay i won't put it on there i mean it's pretty much like the citizen kane of, of kung fu movies you can't have a serious discussion about kung fu movies in america without mentioning it i'd think and just for the um real quick and i'll let us move on the bruce lee fans and the blu-ray fans out there all these movies are out on blu-ray now you just got to search a little bit they're out in the uk i believe they're overseas but they're all region free so if you google you know uh bruce lee blue uh, blue (laughs) that's tough for me to say bruce lee blu-ray 
you'll find all of them. They put out, obviously, Enter the Dragon's been out in the United States for a couple of years, but they've put out four of the movies so far um, on Blu-ray. You can definitely get The Big Boss. Uh, You can definitely get, I think, Game of Death and Fist of Fury, I'm going to say. So they're out there. They're still a little pricey. They'll they'll make their way over here, but um, if you're a fan of the Blu-ray and the martial arts, they're definitely worth picking up. They'll look better than you've ever seen them. How's the, know, how's the Enter the Dragon Blu-ray look? Great. That was a real Blu-ray release. You know, you'll get some Blu-rays that are just kind of like ported over and they're not really much better. You know, obviously they're, the Blu-ray allows for more information to be on the disc. So they're going to look better to some extent, but they're not really remastering them. The Enter the Dragon is excellent. It, it looks great. I, I recommend it. And now, I mean, you can do twelve ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine on that one, you know, really easy at Best Buy or whatever. Definitely worth it. I'm going to segue into something that's kind of Bruce Lee related by saying that after, what I mean is this, after Bruce Lee's passing, there were a ton of films that came out with the Bruce Lee clones. And once again, watching Kung Fu Theater or late night television, um, we saw, I saw a slew of them. The two Bruce Lee clones, because they kind of look like Bruce Lee, they couldn't fight as well as Bruce Lee, but they, they did their best. Um, there was Bruce Lay, L-E, and there was Bruce Lai, L-I. There was a film with Bruce Lay called Bruce and Shaolin Kung Fu, and that started, uh, that started Bruce Lay. Very, very simple film. It's the basically the redemption film. Uh, basically, what happened is, is a ruthless general um, killed, uh, killed some people, and Bruce Lay must um, take on a swordsman and a bunch of karate experts to take down this general. Very simple film, but I love it. I think the reason why I like it so much, one, it was one of the first movies after Bruce Lee's death that I saw because I knew there would be no more Bruce Lee films ever. I was like, Bruce Lee? Who's Bruce Lee? And like all my my uncles said, well, that's the next Bruce Lee. He's going to be awesome, which wasn't the actual truth. He was terrible. But I enjoyed this film so much because I knew I'd never get Bruce Lee back. I've watched it now. It doesn't play the same in some spots, but there are some really nice fight scenes. Once again, you get the abrupt ending, and it was kind of a shocking ending, uh, spoiler alert, because the good guy dies. I mean, and it's a quick, quick, abrupt death, too. He actually walks away from the bad guy. He says he's done, and he gets shot in the back. You can find it on DVD, but they're not good transfers at all. Uh, they actually, the DVDs are pretty bad. Probably the VHS copies are even better than the DVDs. It was released um, by, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was a very generic cover or generic packaging. It's, say, something like Kung Fu Theater on the front of it. Really bad photo, really bad Photoshop work. You could probably find like a used copy for $3 somewhere to this day. In the era of Bruce Lee clones, uh, that is one of my favorite movies. I just wanted to mention real quick, too, I noticed a lot at the uh, the Half Price Books chain uh, here in uh, Pittsburgh. And I know there are other chains like that, Books a Million, there on the West, on the East Coast or whatnot. I often find uh, a lot of really good uh, Kung Fu movies in the remainders. That's how I found uh, my DVD copy of Five Deadly Venoms. That's also how I found a copy of uh, Shadow Warriors, which is my next pick. It's uh, a compilation of a Japanese television show starring Sonny Chiba, and it's where we get the character of Hitori Hanzo, who uh, shows up in Kill Bill Volume 2 as a master swordsmaker. In this, he's, uh, he's a ninja warrior. And uh, it's basically the episodes of the show edited together onto a DVD to make like a three or four hour length movie. And uh, the, the set I got was very nice in a, in a wooden box. It's a four DVD set. I know it's not the complete uh, series or whatever, but it is a really good um, sampler, I guess, of what you can expect from it. It's 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 down and dirty, low budget. I mean, the the the, the skill of Sonny Chiba really just cannot be denied. Uh, very underrated. Uh, if you see like the Street Fighter and other movies he made, uh, just very. Where Bruce Lee had more of a poetic style, Sonny Chiba is more of you know down and dirty kind of a muscly kind of brawler style. He just really. Uh, I mean, he was one of the first guys I, I, that I saw that just really, along you know, along with Bruce Lee, I just like, okay, I get it. This is this guy's style of fighting. This is the way he fights. Uh, so if you, can, if you can find it, I found it really cheap, as, as I said, at the Half Price Books, uh, Shadow Warriors, starring uh, Sonny Chiba. And, See, I, uh, I never knew that existed. I, I only Sonny Chiba movies I've ever seen in, it's like 10 years, 10 years ago, I saw the Street Fighter series, the entire series for the first time. I've also seen a film called G.I. Samurai, which was pretty terrible. 
But, um, <laughs> Great name, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It sounds like it sounds uh, pretty cheesy. Oh, it this was, was cheesy. Yeah, this was a series. Uh, he plays a historical um, a ninja, but it's based on actual history of you know ninja clans and whatnot. The English translation is called Shadow Warriors, and uh, it's in this very nice bamboo wooden box. Uh, it's a DVD set, and uh, if you find it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, I got it dirt cheap, and uh, it's uh, like I said, it's not the high production value, but it's definitely you know, raw Sunny Chiba stuff that you know really isn't seen very often. You know, I mean, IFC every once in a while will show the Street Fighter, or they'll show you know certain mar- or they'll show uh, you know certain martial arts films, but others just kind of get you know uh, brushed to the side. I guess Satori Hanzo was a, a character that Sunny Chiba played in several series over several different you know incarnations. And this is one of them, but that's where the character comes from, uh, from Kill Bill. I never knew that. And uh, yeah, I throw that out as my next pick. There was one other film with Sonny Chiba, which technically is not a, a martial arts film, but is a film that will never see the light of day on DVD. It was the uh, company was called Toy T O E I, and they did their own version of Star Wars. It was called Message from Space. Wow. And and, um, I've seen that. I've yeah. seen that, and those are the cheesiest robots ever. Yes, in that movie. I love oh, that movie. Were, oh man, I love that oh, movie. It's, it's also got Vic Morrow in it, and yeah, yeah. Um, for about ten seconds. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. He got he got a nice paycheck for showing up, saying, "Hey, I'm here. All right, I'm going." Right. It's me, Vic Morrow. How are you doing? Okay, bye. Yeah, it was like right in the wake of Star Wars. I remember that. It was like a Japanese ripoff of Star Wars. Yes. Oh, man, I haven't seen that in years. But, yeah, I definitely know exactly what movie you're talking about. And Sonny Chiba was in the film for, like, about 20 or 30 minutes, but he was this uh, prince that wanted to um, take out the bad guy, essentially a Darth Vader-like character. And they got, like, Sonny Chiba got into a sword fight with him. The sword fight was real abrupt. (laughs) I got a, once again, you can't find it on DVD. You can't find it on VHS. I found it on the Internet. And what somebody did was they took a French version of the film, or yeah, a French version of the film, then dub the Eng- then dub the English um, VHS sound over top of it, and then the English VHS sound goes out in the last thirty seconds. I have actually now that you mentioned that, I remember seeing that on um, Joe Bob Briggs Monster Vision, like late on TNT, like at three in the morning, badly dubbed, not very good quality, and incredibly cheesy. Oh, extremely cheesy. Yeah. Uh, how about Battle Beyond the Stars? You remember that one? Oh, that's a Roger Corman classic, sir. I've got a copy of that. Please John believe. John Saxon. Bring it all back. John <laughs> and, Saxon. And George Prepard. It was like the A-Team versus Mitchell up right. in that piece. <laughs> and Sybil Danning, too. Don't forget that. Yes. Oh, man. And, and, and um, oh, dude, I love that movie. James Cameron did um, special effects work uh, for that movie. I still have a soft spot for uh, Sybil Danning. Oh, yeah. What a hottie. <laughs> see, man, see, Jim, you about to get me. You already got me all hyped up, man. I'm stay up late and like watch all these movies right now. Sean, I know, before I we go, started, I want to go, go to my short. I have like a storage, uh, you know, you store it or whatever. Where I have most of this stuff in. Uh, now I want to make a trip out there. I'm like, oh, I want to watch Message from Space and Battle Beyond the Stars. It's great. What did I? What did I tell you right before we started? Jim knows stuff. <laughs> yes, so he does. Get your I have such pencils, a wealth of, of and- crappy and trivial knowledge that it's unbelievable. The only way I can ever really use it is in a podcast. So there you go. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip this a little bit because you guys are in a, a league unto its own with the with the classic stuff. So I'm gonna try to turn things around a little bit and maybe put out something out that you haven't heard of yet. The movie's called Chocolate. It is a 2008 film from Thailand. It stars a young lady by the name of Ji Ja Yenin, who is billed as the female Tony Ja. <laughs> it is the tagline for the movie is she's sweet but deadly. It's an awesome awesome, brutal, like Muay Thai Thailand movie in the same vein as the uh, Ong Box and The Protector. It's produced by the same people that did Ong Bak. Basically, the story is there's this young girl who is born of a mob family. I believe 
No, I'm not going to say it's Yakuza because it's a Thailand film, but it's a mob family. This is their daughter, and she is autistic. The father gets gunned down in some mob stuff. The mother develops cancer. They can't treat the mother because they don't have the money. Well, it's a mob family, and a lot of people out there owe that dad money. So that's how the kids, there's a son and a daughter, are going to pay for the medical uh, expenses. Turns out the autistic daughter has an echo-type superpower, if you want to call it. She can watch stuff and know how to do it. So she starts watching crazy kung fu movies and stuff and goes out and whip whips gangsters' ass to get the money. <laughs> and <laughs> it, may, it may sound... Uh, I'm not doing the story justice, but it plays really well on film, and the fights are unbelievable. This girl, I don't know her actual age... But her body type is like 14, 15-year-old, and it is unbelievable. I mean, if you've seen some of the stuff coming out of Thailand, the Protector, Ong Bak, Ong Bak 2, she's doing all that stuff, and it's wild. See, that film just sounds sick. That just it, sounds, it, really yeah, sounds, sounds really great. It's a great film. It it's called Chocolate uh, Magnet released it so it's out in the u.s you know magnolia films has their magnet brand they put out a lot of cool foreign stuff and there's a blu-ray release for it that was like pretty inexpensive and i'm telling you if you like a little bit of what i was talking about before the hardcore like brutal realism take on the martial arts this is definitely something to check out and seeing a you know we should be used to it at this point Seeing a young girl do this stuff is mind-blowing to me. Well, you also have to take in consideration in the United States, there really has never been that female female kung fu superstar. You know what I mean? For a second, the U.S. had a little bit of love for Michelle Yeoh for a minute, but she never had a film released in the States where she was the star star. I mean, she co-starred in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. She co-starred in that, but she wasn't the star star. Um, whereas, you know, back in her home country, she had a she has a ton of movies where she is in the lead. To this day, we still have never had that big female martial, you know, martial, martial artist. Closest we had was Cynthia Rothrock, who was straight B-film material. Something like Chocolate just sounds serious, real serious. It's very, very good. And it's not, uh, like I said, it's out on Magnet. So you can Netflix it maybe Blockbuster. It, they, they took a shot at releasing it here, and obviously, you know, you guys haven't heard of it, so it didn't do that well, but it's something that should definitely be checked out. I, I recommend it. Again, I, I like the story. Even if you think the story is a little corny or has been done before type thing, the, the action is unbeatable. See, I, I got it written down. I have, like, a whole list of things since we started talking. Like, my pad is almost full. Oh, that's great. That's the Sounds idea. Cool. I'm definitely going to check out chocolate, though. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds hella dope. I am going back to the Shaw Brothers factory for my, for my next film, also directed by uh, Chang Che of uh, Five Deadly Venoms fame. He also used a lot of the principal players in Five Deadly Venoms for this film. Um, it's called The Kid with the Golden Arm. Once again, it's, it's almost, a, it's, I don't want to say it's the same pre premise as Five Deadly Venoms. What happens is, is that um, there's a character that's asked by the government to um, escort a cargo of gold into a famine area. But this person has to contend with the Chisaw Gang. And the Chisaw Gang, they're kind of like the Ven they're kind of like the Five Deadly Venoms, but you know, it's a little bit different. They have a guy by the name of Golden Arm who whose arm is indestructible, but you can try to slice it with a sword, but you can't. You know, he's indestructible. Uh, there's a guy named Silver Silver Spear who basically has all these cool kung fu skills, but he carries this long silver spear. There's the iron robe who has, has very, a very simplistic martial arts style, but he has like this iron uh, cast on the top of his head. Um, no, no, that's, that's Brasshead. I'm sorry. Brasshead has the, uh, has, 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 the, has, the, has the metal thing on his head, Brasshead. And, and iron, Brasshead. Yes, Brasshead. That was his name, Brasshead. And Iron Robe, Iron Robe was a dude. He had like this real slick robe and he had like uh, this uh, iron fan that he could cut you up with. So they have to get through like all these people, them, you know, people that have to escort this gold. They have to get uh, this, the swordsman, Lee Chin Ming, his, gr his girlfriend, and there are these two other people. Um, this one guy by the name of uh, who's known as like Long Axe, Short Axe, and his name is uh, Yen and his, and his friend and this drunken master 
who basically drinks during the whole time and he has this like drinking va- drinking vase and he uses it for his battles but every time he uses it somebody breaks it then he gets mad because he can't drink so he has to find you know more drinking vases and, and more wine oh and there's like another big bad in the movie too who which i won't give away this this film is really cool there's this like really sweet fight between silver spear and long axe short axe which i knew this had to take forever to choreograph it's my favorite fight scene in the whole movie i like it more than the final fight which is which is really good it's one of those big final fights at the end of the movie but it doesn't matter to me silver spear versus long axe short axe great fight once again hard movie to find on dvd supposedly a fresh legitimate copy of this film is coming out on dvd in december december 2009 so keep your fingers crossed on that but the kid with the golden arm is a legit flick it is flat out awesome i love the crazy names and i love i know I, I mean, Stu, it was just reminding just, me of like Immortal Weapons, uh, the comic. Yeah, so yeah, but much, those are know? even like you know, like Fat Cobra. You know, he's a big giant guy, and his his sign is the Cobra. But these are like you know, I'm Iron Fist. Why is he Iron Fist? Because his fist is iron. You know, there's no yeah. there's, no, there's <laughs> no inference or like figuring out. It's just what it is. You know, um. You know what would you say brass head? I mean that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, I, as soon as I, as soon as I heard that, I laughed so hard. I'm like, can you make this any more obvious? I mean, at least Silver Spear sounds cool cuz he had a silver outfit and a silver spear and he just looked real cool and he was just, you know, real sleek brass head. And he has this big metal piece on his head. It, oh, it's so simple. So <laughs> simple. But I, I, I can't help but love it. And you it. said, the, and the name of the movie again is what? Because I got to write this down. The kid, uh, <laughs> yeah, the kid with the golden arm. The kid with the golden arm. Yes. Awesome. And awesome. according to Amazon, yeah, right here it says this title will be released December twenty ninth, two thousand nine. And I really hope that this is the legit copy that's coming out because I've got a copy and I bought my copy off of eBay probably four years ago. You can tell it's a bootleg. You know, the uh, cover and stuff looks real nice, but when you pop the DVD in, the film transfer is not clean. There are moments where the sound goes out for like two seconds in four spots of the film. Either they had bad reels where the sound was going out or, but it's, it's a bad bootleg pretty much. Is it Shaw Brothers Classic Collection? Does it say if that's the, you know, if it's one of the numbered series, it should be clean? Uh, no, no, this definitely wasn't. This definitely wasn't one of them. Oh and, no, I mean uh, it, it, the release coming in December. Oh, it's, oh, the release say? coming in December. Uh, actually, it doesn't say. Um, it does not say at all because it just says "Kid with the Golden Arm." dub sub and that's pretty much it right. so uh, i have no idea so i'm i'm waiting with bated breath because i really want this to be the legit copy if you, if you can find it definitely check it out we'll go around one more time and then we'll uh, start to wrap things up and we'll kick off with uh, jim well, I have to uh, I have to give some props uh, to Jackie Chan, so I'm going to go with the uh, the legend of Drunken Master. I never really had seen Kung Fu played for laughs before. You know, all the stuff I'd seen growing up from the 60s and 70s is very serious. You know, matter of life or death or what have you. And then uh, Jackie Chan comes along with Drunken Master, and just his his physicality and style is just so humorous. You know, like w- the the whole scene where he's uh, drinking out of the jug in the bar and simultaneously fighting off. The countless hordes of people that are coming after him, you know, and not even missing a drop. Just um, that uh, dimension of humor I really hadn't seen before in a lot of uh, in, in a lot of kung fu movies. A lot of them have been deadly serious. So when I saw Drunken Master, that was kind of uh, an eye opener for me. I'm like, wow, there's so many different ways that this genre can be played. You know, like I said before, historical drama, or like John said, you know, ultra violent, you know, urban stories, or you know, like a mob story like that. And then you know, also the humor, you know, the Jackie Chan, and you know, as much as uh, he became commercialized and made a lot of crappy movies along the way as his career went on, <clears throat> the tuxedo. Um, <laughs> I mean, you really, if you look at his early work, you really have to give him respect and props for what he accomplished. Especially, I mean, with, working without a net, without harness, without, you know, safety precautions most of the time. So uh, that'll be mine. Um, my final pick for that would be Legend of Drunken Master. Again, like you were saying before, if you had the ABCs of Kung Fu, if you, uh, you know, know someone had never even heard of a Kung Fu movie before, you wanted to sit them down and try to teach them, you know, Enter the Dragon would definitely be on that list for me, you know, and, and so with this. So that would, that would be my uh, my pick. Now, is that the movie 
Is that the movie where um, there was a scene where he literally like rolled into some fire or like ran o- like or like hurried up and ran over like a um, a bed of fire in Legend of Drunken Master? I can't I can't remember. That is, I'm pretty sure that is the same one. Okay. Yeah. Is there two? Is there Drunken Master and Legend of Drunken Master? There's Legend of Drunken. Na- no, I was just gonna say you're you're absolutely right. There are two different movies. They both have Jackie Chan in them. I think, and this is um, I don't have Wiki in front of me. I'm pretty sure Legend of Drunken Master takes is a historical film it takes place in the past and i think the other drunken master is more like not really set in a certain time if i remember correctly uh now i'm gonna have to look this up so give me a minute i'm so glad (laughs) i'm gonna gonna jump in on your spot while you look that up because i'm so glad that you mentioned jackie chan new police story i've never seen police story i'm getting around to it but new police story is something i just picked up have either of you guys seen that no, now is police the first police story? Isn't that uh, in the United States? Wasn't that Supercop? I'm not sure about that. No, Supercop. I think was an merit was uh, like an American co-production. Police story. I think it was earlier on in his career. I think it was a little more serious. Oh, okay. Yeah, if, I rem- well, if I remember correctly. Well, like I said, I, I haven't seen that one. But if it if it's anything like New Police Story, it it is a lot more serious. If you want to see the other side of Jackie Chan, check out New Police Story. The speed and the power that this guy brings in these fight scenes is unbelievable and it's totally not played for comedy at all there's like a gang of murderers that are they're almost doing like a saw type game with Jackie Chan they're like killing his partners and making them go through these trials to try to save them uh, and stuff. Great, great movie. And and totally like Jim was saying, if you think Jackie Chan is Rush Hour and High Noon or whatever other Western or thing that he did tuxedo, you need to check out New Police Story at least. I'm not going to speak for Police Story, but I've heard it's even better. But the action and athleticism of this guy is un- unbelievable. And that's one to definitely check out. Well, well, that's the great thing about Jackie Chan in general. Jackie Chan is not only is he a martial artist, but in a way, he's also his own special effect. If you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's why you know movies like the ones you, the one you just mentioned, or you know Supercop, or even let's see, I guess maybe it was called I think it's called Rumble in Hong Kong, and then we had Rumble in the Bronx over here in the states. You get to see you know the basically him being being a special effect, really cool fight scenes, and you know this like kung fu improv, just such a versatile style. And I really lost track of what I was trying to say. Now I remember what it is. When Jim mentioned the tuxedo, and not even the tuxedo, there's another film after the tuxedo he did for sony it was him and it had claire floriani in it what happened is is that movies like the tuxedo and the other film which i can't remember which i can't remember it took away the power of jackie chan because they became a little bit more special effects heavy when you do that you lose the overall power of Jackie Chan because Jackie Chan is the special effect, not not some CGI, not some super special effects stuff. Jackie Chan is that effect. He is the effect for the film. And if you take that out of the movie, then you don't have a Jackie Chan movie. I, I totally agree. And I really feel that that's what's happened to Jet Li because you watch Jet Li in Lethal Weapon uh, Four. 2, is it? 4? Yes. And you're like, wow, you know, look at that guy go. You know, he's so Black fast. Mask even, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think that's fierce. a really underrated, underrated movie right there, Black Mask. He with was Jet so fierce in that movie. Real quickly, uh, Drunken Master was originally a semi-sequel to the movie Snake and the Eagle's Shadow, a 1970s uh, movie. There was a uh, Drunken Master 2 was released as Legend of Drunken Master, also starring Jackie Chan is considered the true sequel. So the original is just called Drunken Master, and the sequel is called Legend of Drunken Master. So I was mistaken. There was also a lot of, there are also a list of imitators here. Drunken Fighter, Drunken Swordsman, the Shaolin Drunken Monk with uh, Gordon Liu, uh, Drunken Tai Chi, uh, Drunken Master 3, Revenge of Drunken Master, Little Drunken Masters. So, I mean, it's definitely uh, uh, had a lot of influence over the years and uh, a lot of imitators. The original is just called Drunken Master. There is one Jet Li movie, though. I will admit, since he's been in the, since he's done a lot of films in the States, there is one movie where you get that raw Jet Li, Kiss of the Dragon. Have, has anybody ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. that's uh, That was on my long list, If uh, depending on Bridget what Fonda, the format right? was. Yeah, yep. I, got, I got that here. The uh, the the big fight where you know he he's basically gonna go to the bad guy's office and just wreck shop. That's some raw Jet Li. That film has a lot of um, just raw fight scenes, and that's probably for me. That's probably one of Jet Li's best 
you know, United States films. I can't really get behind Cradle to the Grave. I can't get behind Romeo Must Die. I can't really get behind those. Unleashed is okay in spots. You got to check out Danny the Dog, though. <laughs> That's the that international. That's the in, right, but it's the international version. Oh, okay. Oh. So Danny the Dog brings a little bit more brutality. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Now, see, the one film that does interest me from Jet Li is that one where uh, it's got Stallone and Jason Statham and... The Expendables. Yes. <laughs> the that, 80s. That, that trailer looks so great. Yeah. I cannot wait to see that movie. The return of the 80s action film. I, I cannot wait. <laughs> I honestly cannot wait. How about Fearless? Did you like Fearless? I thought that was pretty good. Now, see, I have not seen Fearless. I haven't seen it. Um, I know I should, but I have not. Yeah, I'd say Fearless is more in line with the good stuff than the things that you named that you didn't like so much. And don't forget, we can't, we shouldn't forget that he was in the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor Mummy film, too. Uh, see, is, I, I, you know what? As corny as that film is, I like it. I like it, too. It's got yetis. Plenty of yetis. I will close out my Kung Fu movie list. Actually, I'll end it on a fun note. This movie, by no sense of the word, is a uh, great film, but you will laugh uncontrollably throughout the entire production. It's a Jim Kelly film called Black Belt Jones. <laughs> this movie is wrong beyond all levels of wrong. The film starts with <laughs> these two police officers that uh, see some some bad guys in the parking lot, and they cut to the bad guy near a car, and then there's a slow motion scene that stops every five or ten seconds of Jet Li jumping, I mean, not Jet Li, but uh, Jim Kelly jumping from midair to beat up this dude. And every time he fights somebody in the opening scene, it's always in slow motion because he's so fast. And Jim Kelly actually did have some hand speed and some, and some foot speed. But this, this is the longest opening sequence in the history of American cinema. And it's on YouTube. You can find it on, you can find it on YouTube. And the whole time, the cops are just watching and just smiling like, we don't have to do any work. He's doing it for us. There's another scene that you can find on YouTube. The scene is called, if you look on YouTube and type Midnight Dojo Fight, I can't explain it to you. You just have to watch it. And you will laugh so hard, you you, you will have tears coming from your eyes and your stomach will hurt. I, I cannot explain it to you. Scatman Crothers is in the film. And Scatman Crothers... Nice! I love Scatman. <laughs> Scatman Crothers owns a dojo. And that's the dojo that Jim Kelly is trying to protect. Well, he was him. Hong Kong Fooey, you know. Number one super guy. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help it. I love that cartoon. The, the film is not good at all, but I just, it's so fun to watch and it's bad. I'll let you know that right now. It's bad. But this was another film that for a long time you could not find on DVD. But thanks to uh, the good people at Warner Brothers, it will be part of the Urban Action Collection. Four, four film favorites. Four movies on one DVD. Black Belt Jones, Three the Hard Way, Black Samson, and Hot Potato. Ten bucks. I've seen three out of four of those. <laughs> I, I've not uh, seen ten bucks. Can't seen be Hot that. Potato. Yeah. That, that, I'm, so, that, I'm so there. Yeah. When does that come out? Um, it it actually comes out January. It's like January 2010. If you go to YouTube, type in Black Belt Jones, find the Midnight Dojo fight, you'll laugh uncontrollably. And the film, <laughs> the film just makes absolutely no sense, but I love it. I got to get y'all back on again for sure, because I got a lot more movies to talk about. And I know y'all do, too. Oh, definitely. Any, any, uh, any time, really. And, and the best thing about it is it's still it's still happening. I'm going to find three more tomorrow, probably, that I never saw before. <laughs> you know, that's that's just, a, it's it's such a beautiful thing to hunt down. And, you know, they made them at such a rapid pace back then, and they're still making them at a rapid pace now. So I'm always picking up new ones constantly and, and finding new things. It's just great fun. It was a total pleasure on our part. And uh, like I said, if you ever do that MST show, you know who to call, my friend. Oh, you, oh you know I'm going to call you, Jim. Okay, You know that. That's for sure. Is there anything that you gentlemen from the LOD, would like to tell uh, our listeners um, it's like stuff that uh, might be coming up in the next couple of weeks or months or um, anything that's going on well, I'd like to give Johnny M some huge props for scoring us our uh, latest uh, our latest and greatest uh, episode I guess for scoring the interview with uh, Jonathan Hickman great work John and uh, that's on our latest episode of LOD uh, featuring the list from Marvel the uh, eight one shots that kind of are the bridge between Dark Reign and um, the Siege so uh, that's our latest LOD if you want to check that out at 
WLOD.com. I think the interview went Hickman went really well. He was super gracious and really nice. Had a lot of good things to say. Gave us a little bit of dish on his new uh, Shield project that has been teased at Newsarama and some other places recently. And uh, couldn't have asked for a nicer guy. So uh, thanks to John. And uh, if you're interested in that, please check it out on LOD. I think it turned out really well. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. But thank God I had you guys with me to... <laughs> To, to do the interview because uh, the knowledge is, you know, much like the Kung Fu movies, I'm, I'm learning comics on the job and these guys are like real pros. You know, they know what to say. And I, I would like to mention, uh, we're also doing Walking Dead, which a lot of people are into. I finally get to do my RoboCop show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, know, I know you've been waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I have been waiting for it. And, uh, you know, there's a new RoboCop comic launching out of dynamite comics uh in january so we got to talk to uh rob williams the creator of that book and he's also done some dark horse stuff uh he wrote some star wars rebellion and some indiana jones and another really nice guy that we got to talk to uh so that'll be part of the robocast and and that's it man we're just plugging along and, and let's not forget sean we're gonna be having you on soon for we're gonna make this a the holiday tradition the what the dudes want for christmas show with special guest sean Pryor. so Oh. I hope everybody checks that one out as well because we have a fun time with that. Man, I, I already got I already got my list and I got a backup list for my list. So, <laughs> so no, I'm That's most, awesome. I'm most definitely looking forward to that. Oh, and Jim, you run a, a cafe known as the Gypsy Cafe. Can you tell the people in the Pittsburgh area? So, like, you know, because there might be some people that might not know about the Gypsy Cafe. Um, can you tell us about it? Well, uh, it's a restaurant my wife and I have been uh, owning and running now for almost six years. Knock on wood, we're still open. Uh, we do uh, pan-European uh, food with a seasonal uh, uh, slant. Uh, if you want to check out our uh, our website, gypsycafe.net. Every Sunday, we have a geek brunch. Uh, we have a different theme every week. Last week's theme was what I want for Christmas. Kind of a uh, pretty, you know, kind of get some uh, ideas out there for my wife and my friends uh, for what I, you know, because I'm... I can be tough to shop for, you know. I mean, pretty much. If it has Star Wars on it, I'll I'll buy it. No, uh, um, but every week we do a geek brunch. It's kind of a networking thing for the Pittsburgh geeks to hang out and, and meet and greet. We also do uh, Doctor Sketchy's Anti Art School uh, with a lot of the local uh, artists and cartoonists in Pittsburgh. And like I said, uh, GypsyCafe.net. Come check us out if you're in the Pittsburgh area. You want some get get some good grub on you. And you guys, you, you can attest to that. You've eaten my cooking. Hey man, the food is off the chain. Every time I come up to Pittsburgh for like the Pittsburgh Comic Con, um, or like when I came up, I came up for Still City Con in um, you know earlier this year. You're missing out if you haven't if you haven't eaten at the Gypsy Cafe. You're lacking, and you need to go, and you need to check out the food. Man's making my mouth water right now. I need to stop talking about it. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. <laughs> I've always had a good time there. Everybody is so hospitable and kind and polite. Wonderful service, wonderful food, wonderful business. Oh, well, gentlemen, uh, thank you again for uh, for joining us on the uh, PKD Black Box. Um, I can't say thanks enough. Thank you. A lot of fun. Yeah, Sean, thanks for having us, man. It was a great time. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO one on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.